begin this morning with our text because it goes along so well with what we just sang and what his brother just prayed. Verse 7. This is Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse number 7. Scripture says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. A number of years ago, there was a, uh, <clears throat> a young seminary student, not as young as he thought he was, but <laughs> this young seminary student was uh, walking across campus one day, and he had just come from a particularly boring seminary class. Yes, sometimes even seminary is boring, but you have to learn it. And the funny thing is, if you take a class, they're still going to expect you to take a test, and they're still going to expect that uh, you, you at least listened a little bit, because you're going to get a grade on it. And so he was walking across campus, and he was doing his best to try to remember everything that was said. And, and uh, you know, one of the things you do sometimes if you're learning and you're trying to learn something, especially if wow, I don't know if I'm ever going to remember any of this. You want to take notes, and then, by the way, you do take notes even in a boring class. You take notes, and you put little stars out by the things you think, this was what the professor kind of, he, he really wanted me to remember this. So you put a star by that. Okay, well, so he's going across this campus. He's trying to do that. He's, he's walking, and he realizes you can't really do that while you're walking, so he sits down on this bench. And as he's sitting there on this bench, his mind is going back through all of this, uh, this uh, boring lecture. And he starts to just take in the beauty of the, the place because uh, this particular campus is pretty, pretty place. And he's, he's looking out across. There's this wall of trees there about 100 yards across this green grass area. And on the other side of the wall of trees, it looks like maybe once upon a time there was a notch through the trees where you could get to the next field over there. But as he's looking at this, he, he notices... There's a little pile, looks like a pile of concrete, just right there, almost before you get to the trees, kind of off of the beaten path. He's wondering what it was. So he's sitting there trying to study. Well, he didn't really want to study anyway. So he sets his books aside, and he wanders over to see what could be this little pile of concrete. And when he gets there, he notices that what it was was an old abandoned birdbath. At one time, it had been a really big, beautiful piece of of, I guess it was not furniture, but it's, you know, it was a decoration. But it was right there on this campus, and it would have been so beautiful. But now, after years of neglect, after years of not being used, it had been knocked off of its pedestal, in fact, because that's why it looked like a pile of concrete. And it was useless to the, to the birds. It was useless to be looked at. It was forgotten. It, was actually, it had actually been reclaimed by the wild because it was covered with leaves, covered with vines. And he thinks to himself, well, isn't that just too bad? That, that, that ought to be set back up on his pedestal. And he starts to take a look at it, and he realizes, I ain't a big enough old boy to set that back up on his pedestal by myself. So he thinks, maybe I'll clear it off. And then he thinks, oh, look. And there was, used to be a path that went, sure enough, right off through that notch in the trees to the other field. And so he thinks, well, it's too bad. I guess I can't really do anything about it, though. So he goes back over the yards to his seat, and he sits back down by his books. And, and he didn't do what a lot of people would do in these days. He didn't get out that little glowing orb that you hold in your hand and start to flip through it. Instead, he kept thinking 
which I know that's hard to imagine these days, but he kept thinking and looking at that pile of concrete. And the more he thought about it, the more it began to resonate in his heart, and God actually had a chance to speak to this young man. And as he's staring at that pile of concrete and thinking about how it was now useless, worthless, broken, forgotten, reclaimed of the wild, it was almost like he heard God say, that could be your spiritual life. Once upon a time useful, once upon a time designed for something, once upon a time being even enjoyed by other people, but now worthless, useless, broken down, forgotten, reclaimed by the world. And it broke this young seminary student's heart to the place where big, hot tears were rolling down his now red, swollen cheeks as God spoke to him saying, Son, right here in seminary, you could be that. Needless to say, the young man remembered that lesson because what God was really trying to tell him was, that's your spiritual life if you're forgotten, if you allow yourself to get into that place. You, you extend the metaphor a little bit. You could be a church. You could be a family. You could be a, a preacher. You could be a deacon. And that could be your spiritual life reclaimed by the wild, reclaimed by the world. As we go back to the same... I'm going to finish up the message I began last week about how to recognize how to discern, how to guard the spiritual life that we have or to, to guard the body of Christ of which we're a member, it's really important that we, we understand we could. We could become that forgotten, neglected, re ruined, useless, even reclaimed by the world birdbath. That could be your spiritual life, church leader. That could be your spiritual life, America. That could be your spiritual life, dad, mom. That could be your spiritual life. That's why it's so important that we guard and why we are so careful to, to be discerning of the health and the body of the, 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 the church that God's made us a part of and the family that God's made us a part of and why it's so important for us to pray for our nation and for our leaders because if you look around you, you can see that a lot of places in America have become that ruined birdbath. And a lot of other places are rapidly on their way to that spot. Well, in that context... I want us to think about what was going on there in the, in the book of Romans. As Paul was talking, God was speaking through Paul to the people in Rome because some of this was going on in Rome. Some of this division was going on. Some of this breaking down and, and becoming useless was actually happening there in the church at Rome because they had this situation come up where there were those who were mature believers and they didn't have a problem eating meat. That was sacrificed to idols. Now, they didn't go out and say, hey, give me some of that really good meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. That's not how it worked. You see, you have to little, a little bit understand what was going on in that day because in that day, the best meat market was on the backside of a temple because people would bring their animal to the temple to be sacrificed and they would use just a part and a portion of the animal for the sacrifice. The rest of it would be butchered and either the person would take it back with them or it would go to the meat market. And so the freshest, best meat in the city of Rome would have been a, a block over or on the backside of this temple. And people had no idea where it was, where it was necessarily uh, uh, sacrificed or to whom it was sacrificed, whether it was Apollo or Dionysius or, or one of the other Roman gods of that day. They didn't care. All they knew was it's good, tasty meat. 
Well, for a Christian coming into that culture to say, well, it's being sacrificed to an idol, but that idol's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. For a mature Christian to say that, that's one thing. But for somebody who last week was sacrificing to Dionysius or last week was sacrificing to Apollo, now here I am, I'm eating meat that was sacrificed at the same temple that I have decided I'm leaving because I'm going to follow Christ. I've, I've got a new Lord. I can't go back. Well, that was hurting their spiritual walk. And they've had it actually caused a division in the church. And some of the more mature people were saying, well, come on, get with the program. It doesn't mean anything. It's a, no, it's a no-brainer. It's just meat. Meat is meat. But for the person who was weaker in the faith, it was, it was really hurting their heart. It was hurting their Christian walk. Some of them were walking away from the church because how can you, how can you do that? That was their opinion. So they were looking down on the mature believers. The mature believers were looking down on the not-so-mature believers. And that was the problem that caused... Paul to write the entire 14th chapter here. And the mature were being instructed by Paul, and we talked about this quite a bit last week, to to be willing to change your habits, be willing to change your behavior so as not to hurt the younger believer. And so uh, that thing that could have driven them apart, instead Paul was saying, let that drive you together to where you're saying, I understand that that you're not as far along on the road as I am, but let's, let's walk together even if I have to change my ways about doing it. So he gave us, and I started, there were six rules. I only gave you three of them last week. Some rules for discerning, some, some, some kind of rules of thumb of how you can guard the unity and health of the body. The first one, it was in the very first verse there, it was agreement is optional, but acceptance is not. And I just want to remind you of that, that there were a lot of people coming into that church, and there are a lot of people coming into our churches today. They may have some different opinions about some things. And we may not even agree on some of the really important things, like cowboys or Sooners, or some of the really important things like Chevy or Ford. But listen, you can accept that person that doesn't know how to drive the right vehicle, You don't have to agree with them. Because I've always understood that dodge means to avoid. Can I get an amen? Okay, no amen. All right, too many dodges in the (laughs) Anyway, there's things we can accept about one another, even though we don't agree. Okay, so that was the number one thing. And and by the way, we want to be that congregation that holds one another up. Because there are going to be weaker brothers that God puts beside you. People who are walking, but they're just, they're just barely walking. They're just barely moving in the, wor- in the world of the Spirit or in the, the, the kingdom of God. And they're just learning some things. You need to be that strong bulwark, that, that wall up which that vine can, can grow. That, that I mentioned last week, that redwood that's going to help hold up the other redwoods. Because when I am weak, I need some of you to be strong. And when you are weak, you need some of us to be strong. You need me to be strong. And so together, we'll all be much stronger. And so Paul was telling and the number one, acceptance is not optional. Agreement is. Okay, that's number one. Number two was while you're walking, be careful that you don't fall into the sin of pride. Because if you're a little further along than somebody else and you start to kind of congratulate yourself and you know a little more than that other person or maybe you've been studying the Bible for 35 years and you, it's so obvious to you, but this person, they just don't see it. Understand, that can, that can let pride grow in your heart. Don't let pride become a stumbling block because so many times people who have a little bit of knowledge, knowledge puffs up, always has and always will. And so be careful that you don't let pride take us down uh, the rabbit hole. But thirdly, 
the way you best can do that is to keep Christ at the center of everything. Just keep Christ at the center of everything that you, as, as I was reading there in verse, verses 7, 8, and 9, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the body. We live for the church. We live for Christ. We live for the Lord. And in the end, it is Christ who died and Christ who lived again, and now we can live through Him as a body. So that was the first three. Just keep those things in mind. Now, let me give you number four because it just flows right into it. The best way that I know of to guard and discern the health of the body of Christ, along with those first three, but the best way I know of is, remember, we have one final authority, and that is God's Word. The Word of God that was given to us from Almighty God, it is our final authority. It's our source. It is the thing that we go back to. We got to we've got to. We need to put our lives, we need to make our work, we need to make our service, we need to make our interpersonal relationships under the authority of the Word of God. Psalm 119, many of you have read that, it's 176 verses long. At least 173 times in that 176 verses, it talks about the Word of God, the law of the Lord, the, 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 the precepts of the Lord. It's, it's kind of got a theme all the way through it about talking about God's Word, God's law, God's rules, because that's where we need to found the foundation of our life to be. Well, in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Thy word, O God, is forever settled in heaven. You know what? God's word is not going to change. He wrote it down in heaven before he wrote it down here on the hearts and the pens of men. And his word is not going to change. We don't have to worry about that. It is an authority that is settled. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be subtracted. And by the way, we don't need anything added or subtracted to it. It's perfect as it is. Now, I'm a guy who loves science. In fact, you could go so far as to say I'm a science nerd. Not as much of a nerd as him, but I'm kind of a science nerd. Okay? He teaches college science. That's a nerd, y'all. He doesn't have the pocket protector today to prove it, but you just find him anyway. I love science. And science is a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing. But I'm here to tell you that science cannot ever change God's word. No matter what science thinks they've discovered, science says, well, what about this and what about this? Listen, you just let science keep on with their research, and one of these days they'll catch up to the Word of God. Because science changes. You look back on the last 50 years of textbooks, and you'll find out that science has changed about every 10 or 15 years, and they just go ahead and change, and they don't tell you that they changed. That's the thing that bugs fire out of me. If you buy a car and a recall comes out, they send you a little card, don't they? And you go down and you have it fixed, or you, you need to, depends on. We've got something right now that ours is it's just some little something that's no big deal. So they send you a little card that's, that's a recall that says, if you keep driving this car, it might explode. Do you go that next day and take it to the dealership? Most likely. Science has done that over the last 50 years. They've changed very basic, real things. But they don't send out any recalls. They just let you go ahead and keep thinking those things that were wrong, that they told you were right, but they're totally wrong. I could give you a list. Now, not as many as Brother Science Nerd here. Hope you don't mind me calling you that. All right, good. I think it's probably pretty accurate. The fact is, though, as much as science discovers, it's funny how more and more they're discovering, you know, the Bible was right all along. The same thing's happening in, in history, and in archaeology, and I'm kind of a history nut, too. I was talking to a guy this morning, not so crazy about history, 
But that's always been one of my strongholds. I love history. I love archaeology. And history and archaeology can actually help us to confirm and understand better God's Word. But history and archaeology will never change God's Word. And we shouldn't let it try. There are people today that are called textual critics, and they want to go to the Word of God, and they want to tell you, well, it really couldn't possibly mean that, so it must mean this over here. And they want to change it, or they want you to understand something, or change God's Word, philosophy, and modern thought. But Jesus said it this way, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. When you start working contrary to, when you start fighting against the Word of God, I'm telling you, folks, bad. That's not going to end well. You're not going to win fighting against God's Word. It's a battle you could, you could continue forever and never really quite stop fighting because God's Word's going to win. It's like the guy who's on his porch one day, and he's got a couch hung in the door, and he's trying to lift, he's pushing, he's lifting, he's working as hard as he can, and the mailman happens along. And mailmen are not supposed to do this, you understand. But the guy is obviously in distress. And so, mailman puts down his bag, and he gets up there, and he's helping the guy, pulling and twisting and doing all he can. And, and, and finally, the guy just throws his hands up and says, forget it, mailman. I don't guess I'm ever going to get this couch out of my house. And the mailman said, get it out. I thought we were going in. <laughs> That's the way it is. You start fighting against the Word of God. You might as well just take it as your authority and let Him be God, and you be the one who reads His Word and loves it. God's Word taught by and through the Holy Spirit is our authority. And, and by the way, this is one of the rules of thumb that I use. Every time I study God's Word, I use this rule of thumb. God's Word can never mean what it never meant. You're not going to discover something that God's Word suddenly means something it never meant before. You can't do it. If you do, you're off track. You're on a long journey that's going to bring you right back to God's Word someday. But God's Word can never mean what it never meant. Now, it is able, by His Holy Spirit, God's able to take something in the Word that's always been there and teach you something new, maybe even about the day in which we live. But God's Word can never mean what it has never meant. To those people that were first written, God was talking. To us today, God was, is still speaking. God's Word can never mean what it never meant. The backside of that is God's Word will always mean what it always meant. You, you don't have to delete it. You don't have to edit it. And the third, might as well give you the third one. By the way, if you want to write these down, it's okay. I, they're not original with me. This was from somebody more intelligent than me. But here's the third one that I always use as I study God's Word. When the plain sense of Scripture makes sense, seek no other sense. If it makes sense the way it is, you don't have to go find something. I mean, you can do crazy things with God's Word. Did you know that there is an entire teaching... And this might be facetious, but <clears throat> they believe in angelic insects. They believe that there are insect, there's insect life in heaven. And they base that on a verse in the book of Revelation where it says, I saw another angel fly. And they tell me because, they, because it says another angel fly, that means there's more than one. So there must be an entire, a whole bunch of insects in heaven. Because if you can see another angel fly, you've probably got lots of angel flies. And what are they? Well, even a third grader with no help knows that that means I saw an angel flying, right? If the plain sense of Scripture makes plain sense, seek no other sense. Otherwise, you'll end up with crazy things that you believe and teach. I use those guidelines every time I study God's Word. I put Jesus at the center and then me under the authority of God's Word. Let me give you a fourth one. Actually, this is number five. And that is, <clears throat> I need to remember that it is when I am weak that he 
makes me strong. If I go into something saying, I'm here and I've got all the training and I've got all the letters after my name and I'm here to rescue, I'm here to save the day, be careful of that person because it is when I am weak that I am strong. Now, I went and got the training. I, I believe in higher education. I believe in training. I believe in, 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 in getting the information into your heart. But if, if, if it's not the Holy Spirit then bringing it out to you or to the people to whom I'm ministering, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I, let, me, let me read you verse 4, the last bit of verse 4 one more time. In verse, it's in chapter four, 14, excuse me, verse 4. To his own master he who stands and falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. There are moments when I haven't got any idea what I'm supposed to say, and all of a sudden I'll begin to speak. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to give me the words in that moment. You see, what is happening there is that it's my choice to speak, but it's his power that's allowing me to speak. It's his wisdom that's giving me the right things to say at that moment. It's my choice, that is, it's my will, but he alone has the strength. So here it is, it's, it's my will and his power together. That's the only willpower that means anything in the kingdom of God. My will and his power that allows me to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And, and, and then those latter verses down there where it talks about not eating idol, meat sacrificed to idols, and, and you can if you, if you know you're a you know, grown-up Christian and all the different things. All of that's trying to say is, you don't have the strength to change yourself to honor somebody else, but God does. That's what he's trying to say. If you need help changing, re developing a, a love for people to say, I'll do it this way, even though I know that's not the way I want to do it. God will honor that, and God will empower you, and God will enable you to do that. You say, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough to change to suit somebody else. Well, I'm not asking you to suit somebody else. I'm asking you to honor God in what you do and in such a way that will bless your brother and keep him from having a stumbling block placed in front of him. Let me read you verses 15. Well, I don't want to read the entire thing, but let me start in 15. For if... Because of food, your brother is hurt. You're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is a good thing be spoken of as evil. So there in those verses, and all the way through to the end, we find our final guide, and let me give it to you. Do all that we do to honor the Master. Do all that we do to honor the Master. If I will honor God, if I will go and think, this is the thing I want to do, this is how I'm going to do it so that I can honor the Savior. If you'll just decide in advance that I'm not going to do anything that would dishonor my Lord, it's going to make a whole lot of difference in your life. Some of you know Chuck Swindoll. He's a, a preacher down in Dallas area right now in Plano, actually. Um, well-known across the Christian world for all of his writings. He's been a pastor for many, many years. But he remembers back when he was a kid, and he would leave the house, and his dad would say, Chuck, remember who you are. Well, what did that mean? Well, see, Chuck had the last name Swindoll. So anything Swindoll did reflected on Swindoll. You understand what I'm saying? Here's Swindoll Jr. messing up and acting a fool. Who's going to get the blame? Swindoll Sr., and he tells the story about how one day his daddy bought him a new car. It wasn't new, but it was Chuck's. Had a good set of tires on it, and Chuck being Chuck, he went out and, well, you know how you do. You've got to try to see how fast you can drive, how quick you can stop, 
how much smoke you can make come off of them tires. He had it about three months. Daddy, I need some new tires. And Daddy said, do tell. Isn't that something? I had good tires on that when I got it to you. Yeah, now, but I need new ones. How come? I used them up. <laughs> you know what he made him do? He made him wait almost a year limping around on those bald tires until he could afford to buy his own tires. You think Chuck learned a lesson there? Learned a lesson, Daddy's mean. No, he learned a lesson, you take care of what you've got, and remember, it's your responsibility. You see, it's my responsibility before the Lord. I have a responsibility to my Savior to put other people first in my life. Especially those that are younger or more, less mature, those that haven't quite followed along as far as I have. It's my responsibility to do what I do to help them along. Not to prove how much further along I am. So don't, don't let pride uh, come in. I... Uh, Y'all know what independence is, right? Back in 1776, there was a group of people there in Philadelphia that met together, and they signed a paper and sent it to the King of England and declared the 13 colonies were independent from the King of England. Independence. We don't need a new declaration of independence. We need a declaration of interdependence. Because I'm here to tell you that we need each other. I need you and you need me. And we are not going to stand in the day in which we live if we're trying to stand all on our own. Now there may come a time when you're in a group of people and you have to stand and you're the only one standing. That's true. But it shouldn't be that way in church. We should be the people who are helping one another to stand. Helping one another to, once you make the right decision, brother, I'm with you. I will help you. I will walk with you. You keep it up, brother. You did the right thing. Some people have lost jobs over doing the right thing, okay? How the church can come alongside and help the other people in the church. And I don't have anybody particular in mind. I'm just saying that we have a responsibility. I need you and you need me, but mostly we need each other. And when we hold each other up, we are doing and obeying what, what Romans chapter 14 is teaching because it's up to each one of us to guard the unity and the health of the body that God has added us to. But let me tell you this you're going to have absolutely no chance of helping or doing or discerning that if you haven't been born again. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Most everybody here would say, well, I've been saved all my life. You haven't been saved all your life. <laughs> I tell people I got saved in the nursery, but that's because I want to get their attention because I did get saved in the nursery, but I was 16 years old. I was a slow developer. <clears throat> But in the, in, in the third chapter of the book of John, there was a man that came to Jesus one night. His name was Nicodemus. And you all know the story. It's so well, so well rehearsed there in the, in, in the chapter that I'm talking about, John 3. But he was a ruler. He was a teacher. He was somebody who knew the law frontwards and backwards. He was somebody who was actually on the Sanhedrin. That means not only was he an expert at the law, he was one of the rulers of the people too. And he came to Jesus by night to avoid the crowd. So he wanted to talk to the master. And he came to Jesus and he, he, he started off with a kind of a religious discussion. Master, we know that you're from God because no man can do the things that you do except he come from God. And he's getting ready to give this long discussion and Jesus just shut it down and said, Truly, truly, 
Verily, verily, I say to you, you must be born again. Born again? What does that mean? And it so shocked Nicodemus, he said, well, am I supposed to get back in my mother's womb? I'm not understanding this. This isn't making any sense. And Jesus so sweetly and so gently took him through the rest of that chapter, explaining to him some, some very basic things. But when Nicodemus said, I don't get it, Jesus said, you're a ruler of Israel, and you don't get it. See, folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that you can be the most faithful attender of a church and still be lost. You can be the most faithful giver in a congregation and not be born again. You can be somebody that every time that door is open, you are in this sanctuary. And I honor that. I honor people that give. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I honor people that are serving. They're just giving of themselves all the time, and their service is, is always there. I honor that beyond what I can begin to tell you. But I'm here. It's, that doesn't get you to heaven. You have to have made a decision, a choice for yourself to bow the knee, repenting of your sin and crying out to God for mercy, confessing Him as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And I need to ask you this morning, before we start as a family trying to discern and guard the unity and the health of the body, are you a member of that body of Christ? I'm not asking you are a member of this church. I'm asking you, are, are you a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because only you know. Well, I'm real faithful. I'm glad you're faithful. Praise God. But are you saved? Well, I give a lot. I didn't ask that. I asked, are you saved? Well, brother, I just don't know why you're picking on me. I'm not picking on anybody. I just want to make sure that you and Jesus have a relationship that's going to last for all of eternity. Because there is no more important question. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you drive a Chevy or a Ford. I don't care if you, if you buy at Walmart or if you only buy at Spencer's. You may have some very strong convictions about some, some other things that you just, you'll, you, you wouldn't buy certain kinds of feed for anything in the world. I don't care. Are you saved? Have you had that moment in your life where you've said, Lord Jesus, here I am. I can't save myself. I see I'm a sinner. Please, please, Lord Jesus, accept me under the blood of the Lamb because the blood of the Lamb is the only thing that can wash the sinner clean. Have you been there? Have you done that? Because then you'll have the opportunity and the ability to be a part of the body of Christ and to be able to guard and discern the health and the unity of the body of Christ. Kip was talking about some, some empty chairs, yeah. We've got a lot of empty chairs. We've got a lot of room for God to grow this church. But we don't want a bunch of a bunch of empty chairs. We also don't want a bunch of empty hearts. My heart and my desire is to see people born again. If you're here this morning and you're not, you say, well, I think so. Please don't go home thinking so. Come talk to me. Come, let me help you to make sure one way or the other. I was talking to somebody three weeks ago. I just don't believe you can know. You can know. Scripture says, These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. You should know. We're going to have a word of invitation in just a moment. And I'm not going to belabor the point, but I do want you to know that I love you enough that I'm not going to leave this earth having not told you that you must be born again. Let's pray.